Good morning. How are we? Pretty good this morning. First Peter chapter 2, if you have your Bible. I'm Pastor Jake, the lead pastor here. It's my honor and privilege to unpack and study with you and for you the Word of God. That's what we do uh, here at Great Oaks. But I don't know if you realize this or not, uh, but your identity, who you believe yourself to be, affects everything you do in your life. It affects the decisions you make, what small ones, like what time you set your alarm for, what do you do the first thing you wake up, what are you going to wear, how you spend your free time, to, to big decisions, like where you're going to work, and who you're going to marry, and what car you're going to drive, and where you're going to live, and, and where you put Christ and his church on the list of priorities you've got going for your life. Your identity affects all of that. Are you introverted or extroverted? Conservative or liberal? Are you a Midwesterner or a Southerner or something else? A daughter, a son, a brother, a sister, a father, or a mother? Are you a grandparent? Are you young or are you old or somewhere in between? Who are you? What is your identity? Are you a neat freak or a slob? Are you a health nut or are you, are you a glutton? Are you, who are you? Who, who are you? Who do you think you are? Are you blue collar or white collar? Are you generous, stingy, self-centered or others centered? Are you a bargain shopper or a fashionista? Which one? Who, who are you? Who are you? Nerd or athlete, musician or artist or neither? Are you a hugger or a valuer of personal space? Are you a leader or a follower? Are you a winner or a loser? Successful or a failure? How you answer those questions about yourself has huge implications on how you live your life. The direction you go, the choices you make, the, how you spend your time. If you answered these identity questions for me, I'd be able to know those things about you. Right? I'd be able to predict where you're going, what you're doing, what you're going to spend your money and your time on. Here, here's what I'm saying. Your identity determines your direction. Your identity determines your direction. Who you are determines what you do. Your who determines your do. You see, sometimes we think that it's what we do that determines who we are. I think that's backwards. I think you're doing what you're doing because of who you are. I think it's all about your identity. It's all about who you believe yourself to be. All your actions and choices and behavior can do is reveal and reaffirm who you actually are, your identity, who you are. If you want your direction to change, you're going to need a change in identity or at least a, a new revelation of who you really are, right? A new revelation. Your who determines your do. So with that in mind, I want to talk to you about 
your purpose in our world, in the world. But I want to do that from the perspective of your identity, who you are, because I can talk about direction and action and all that till I'm blue in the face all day long, and it won't matter unless you get a revelation of who you are or who you're supposed to be. And so I want to talk to you from the standpoint of identity. So we're in 1 Peter this summer, and the overarching idea of this letter by the Apostle Peter is that you are set apart. You are set apart. If you missed the first three messages, make sure you get those online so you can understand today's message in its context. Today I want to talk to you about the fact that you are set apart for service. You are set apart for service. So I'm going to read you the whole passage, first 12 verses in 1 Peter chapter 2, and then I'll come back to them and we'll kind of break them up and talk to them bit by bit, talk about them bit by bit. But first 12 verses in 1 Peter chapter 2 say this. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. You may get those first three. Envy is when you want something uh, that is somebody else's. Somebody else has something and you want it. That's envy. And slander is when you say something negative about somebody to somebody besides that person who you're talking about. Was that clear enough? That could, be, that could be in person, like you're talking with somebody about, could be true or not true, it doesn't matter. Slander is when you're saying something bad about somebody to a third party. That could be in person. That could be about somebody you know. It could be about somebody you don't know. It could be on Facebook. You could be sharing a post about a politician that you don't agree with. That's negative. That's called slander. Slander. Like newborn infants, long for the spiritual, the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. In other words, be set apart from sin. Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Okay, so there's a lot in there, uh, but what I'll do is I'll just break this down into three identity truths for you. 
Three identity truths that I want you to chew on this week with your life group, talk it over, talk it over with your family or your friends. And I, I'm going to be talking to Christ followers in the room today, okay? This, this is a message to Christ followers in the room. So if you've given your life to Jesus, that's really who I'm talking to. Now, if you have yet to give your life over to Christ, um, I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you came. I don't know, like you came with a friend or, so, you know, you, you came because of something specific. You're in town for something or you just kind of wandered in because you smelled coffee. I don't know why you came today, but I'm glad that you're here. Unashamedly, as I talk to the Jesus followers in the room about who they are in Christ, my hope and my prayer is that you, as someone who has yet to make a decision for Jesus, would see that as attractive and you would be wooed into, drawn into a relationship with this same Jesus Christ. So that is my hope for you, or at least you would take a step towards that as we talk through these three identity truths. But if you don't, and you're not a Jesus follower, then these implications, the things we're going to talk about, um, that you don't have to worry about them. You don't have, it's not a burden you need to carry, not a weight that you need to worry about. But if you are a Christ follower, then these are so important for us to understand. Before I give them to you, though, I want you to understand one other thing about identity. Identity comes with both benefits and burdens, right? Identity comes with both benefits and burdens. So my identity as a husband, I, I am a husband. There are benefits that I get for being a husband, right? And so if you're, not, if you're a husband and you're not getting benefits for that, you're doing it wrong. Okay, you're doing it wrong. Make an appointment. We'll do some counseling. You're doing it wrong. But there are also, there's benefits, great benefits to being a husband. But there are also incredible burdens of responsibility that I would not have if I were not a husband, right? Same thing with parenting. There are benefits, the kisses and the playing with, on the floor and the hugs and, and the accomplishments that you get to see them make, achievements and things like that. Like when your kid like asks you for advice, that's a huge benefit, right? Level up, they do what you say. That's even huge. That's big, right? You got to get an amen from some parents? It's like, wow, that's never happened to me before. Is that really going to happen? One day maybe. I don't know. And so that's a benefit. Those are benefits. But all of those benefits, they're wrapped up in massive burdens of responsibility. As a parent, you have these benefits and you have these burdens. Identity carries with it both benefits and burdens. Now, just to be clear, when, with these that we're going to talk about, when I say burden... I'm not talking about something that's crushing or even that difficult uh, in the place that we do life and do church. When, when we talk about burdens today, I'm not talking about something that is crushing. And I'm also not talking about something that is all bad, like pros and cons. That's not what I'm talking about. Just like with being a husband or a father, even the burdens can bring joy, Right? Even the burdens of responsibility as a husband and as a father, they bring joy because through them I see life change, I see things happen that are important, and they bring joy. So as I'm talking through burdens of these identity truths, what I'm talking about is a responsibility that gives purpose. That's a burden. That's the burden that I'm talking about, a responsibility that gives 
purpose. Okay, so that's, what, how, that's how I'm going to unpack these three identity truths, benefits and burdens. Here's number one. In verses four and five, uh, Peter talks about how Jesus is this living stone and how you and I, as we come to him, are also living stones as well. Let me read it to you in um, verses 4 and 5. He says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now here's the identity truth. You are God's place. You are God's place. Let me explain this. In the Old Testament, there was this prophecy by a guy named Daniel, okay? And he was interpreting a dream of a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And in this dream, the king saw a statue, an image, a statue that was made of gold, silver, bronze, and at the bottom, iron. And he saw this stone kind of show up from nowhere and bust up this statue and destroy this statue. And then this stone, began to grow, it was a living stone, began to grow into a mountain that covered the entire earth. And Daniel, interpreting this dream, prophesied that that living stone was the coming kingdom of God that would be forever. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, just open your Bible this week, read Daniel chapter 1 and chapter 2. Easy read, okay? Read it this week and you'll see what I'm talking about. So Daniel prophesied this. And then Isaiah, another prophet, another prophet said that God was going to lay in Jerusalem a, a stone chosen and precious. And then the psalmist in Psalm 118 talks about this living stone that's going to be a, a cornerstone that will be rejected by the builders. Okay, now follow me here. Some 600 years after Daniel, we find a poor Galilean named Jesus preaching and teaching in a synagogue in Luke chapter 20 with all this authority and all this power. And so the leaders ask him, with what authority do you preach with and teach with? What, what's your authority? And Jesus answers them by saying that he is this stone. He is this living stone, this cornerstone that was, would be rejected by uh, the, the builders. And so Jesus said, I am that stone that Daniel and Isaiah and the psalmist prophesied about. But then Jesus died. He rose again. But then he ascended into heaven. He left. And so the way it was in the Old Testament is that the presence of God would reside in the temple, right? The Holy of Holies in the temple. And that was, that was God's place. That was where he was. If you wanted to connect with God, you would go to the temple. But, but now Jesus came in and he was this living stone and he turned that upside down and he messed that all up. But now he's gone. So what should we do? Go to the temple? Make a sacrifice? Peter in 1 Peter is going, no, 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 no. Things have changed. It's not like it used to be because Jesus didn't leave us alone. He sent his Holy Spirit to live in us. And so Peter is going, no, now you are that spiritual house. You are living stones just like Jesus. He's not 
He's not saying you're God. He's saying that just like Jesus had the presence of God with him at all times, so you have the presence, if you're a Christ follower, you have a pr- the presence of the Holy Spirit with you at all times. You are a spiritual house now. You don't have to go to God's place. You are God's place. Are you tracking with me? One, two. Okay, two. So... Let me just tell you some benefits of this identity truth, okay? Because because of what Jesus did for us, there is now no need for a sacred space. The wall dividing secular and sacred has been torn down. There is no need for a sacred space. The New Testament church is not like the Old Testament temple. Where you are right now is not the church. This is just a building where the church meets. The church is a community of Christ's followers, not a building. You don't need to lean on brick and mortar to get closer to God. You cannot get any closer to God than by faith in Jesus Christ. You don't need a building. It's not Jesus Christ plus a certain geographical location. If you're a follower of Christ, wherever you are, God is. Wherever you are, God is. And that's, that's why we're planting a campus in Washington that's going live in just a couple of months here in the fall. That's why we're planting 10, that's why we want 10 campuses. We have a vision to have 10 campuses, Great Oaks campuses in 10 years instead of spending millions and millions of dollars to make this building bigger and build this awesome temple and then ask people to come to us. That's why we're going no, 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 we're going to spread out and we're going to multiply because a building doesn't hold the presence of God. God's people hold the presence of God. You are God's place. So now wherever you go, God's spirit dwells and lives can be transformed. Are you tracking with me? I'm getting excited and we just barely started. And you guys are just like, did you see the coffee? Get the coffee on the way in. I mean, I'm preaching some good stuff here, and you guys are like, oh, yeah. All right? That's okay. It's later. Wait till later. That's why we're spreading out and multiplying. You are God's place. So listen to me. There is now no need for you to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem if you want, but you don't need to go. Because God's presence isn't waiting for you in Jerusalem. God's presence is right here in you right now because you are God's place. In order to get closer to God, you don't have to go to (laughs) Chick-fil-A. You don't have to eat Christian chicken. Okay? You don't have to eat Christian chicken to get closer to Go eat the Christian chicken. But not on Sunday because they're closed. But go eat the Christian chicken. Okay, go do it. But you don't have to eat the Christian chicken to get close. You don't need a building. You are God's place, right? It's probably, it's probably not caged chicken, I'm guessing. So I'm not going there. I only do caged chicken. All right, anyways. You are God's place right here, right now. The presence of God dwells in you. Other New Testament writers would say that you and I, we as Christ followers, we are 
the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's the benefit. There's no sacred space. God's with you at all times. Here's the burden that goes along with this identity truth. A burden of responsibility. As carriers of God's spirit, as God's place, we now have the responsibility to live holy lives. We have the responsibility as carriers of God's spirit to live holy lives. We talked all about holiness last week, so I'll just touch on it here. But the Apostle Peter is going to talk about it a lot in 1 Peter over and over and over. That's why we're talking about being set apart. That's what holiness actually means, is being set apart and different. And so he kind of bookends this section with some stuff on holiness. Verse 1 and then verses 11 and 12. He says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And then verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So as God's place, we enjoy benefits like God is with us at all times. There's no sacred space we have to get to because we are God's place. But the burden is that now we are called to live holy lives, benefits, benefits and burdens. Let's look at the second identity truth. Look at the first part of verse 9. It says this, and then verse 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Then look at verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are God's place. Now number two, you are God's people. Before Christ, you may have been deceived into thinking that you were a part of something, that you were a part of a people, that you were part of something bigger, that you belong, but it was just a mirage. It was a shadow. You were alone and destined for an eternity in hell that way. But when Christ saved your soul, you became a part of God's people. You became a part of God's people. You were immediately grafted in to the family of God. And this family goes far beyond your physical family, far beyond your biology, your nationality, your language, your socioeconomic status. This family, this identity goes far beyond that. On the other hand, if you've never felt like you belonged, you never felt like you really fit in. Maybe you were picked on as a kid. Your family was jacked up and still is. You're insecure and you find your identity in that. You're a loner, a drifter, an orphan, a person without a people. If that was you, listen to me clearly. Not anymore. When Jesus saved your soul, you, your identity shifted and you no longer are a person without a people. You are a part of God's people, a part of God's family. Now you have a place to belong. Isn't that good news? You guys are getting it a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah, you're a part of God's people now. Now, 
The benefits on this one, this identity truth, I think are, are pretty easy to see. You, you weren't created to do life alone. And now as a part of God, God's people, you don't have to. You can lean into God's people. You can lean into the family of God. You can ask questions, be encouraged, be taught, be led, be shepherded. You can get wisdom and discernment and accountability from the people of God now that you're in this family. So maybe you've been a Christ follower for a long time and you don't, you don't really use this. You don't really reach out for help, guidance, prayer. You don't, make, you don't make it a priority to get with God's people at least on a weekly basis in rows like this, but more importantly, in circles at home, at a life group where you're really doing life together. Maybe you don't really make that a priority. Maybe you should. Maybe you should. Because you're missing out on a huge benefit of being a part of God's people. So you're God's place in that he dwells in you and you're his people in that you are not alone. You're a part of something. You belong. So those are some of the benefits. Here are some of the burdens of responsibility with this one. Just like you need other people, other people need you. Just like you need other people, other people Need you. There are something like 60 different one another commands in the New Testament that you cannot follow apart from being plugged into a local church. There are something like 60 of love one another, care for one another, carry one another's burdens, confess sins to one another, encourage one another, greet one another. All of that in the New Testament. Forgive one another, be subject to one another, serve one another. You cannot be a consumer among God's people. You cannot be a consumer among God's people. It does not work that way. And yet consumerism is an epidemic that plagues many churches. Our church is included in this. It plagues all kinds of churches. We have a tendency to think of ourselves and, and what we're getting only. And we base everything else on that, what we're going to get out of this, our preferences. You, somebody says, I don't want to go to a life group because I'm busy and I went a long time ago and I didn't like it. Okay? What if, what if the universe doesn't revolve around you? Just throwing it out there. But what if this whole doing church together thing doesn't revolve around you? What about the other people in the life group that need you? What about that? Because as a part of God's people, you have this burden to care for God's people. What about God's people? We rarely think about that as we do church like do like look for churches do church shopping i love that term i i hear it like from this like hey what are you doing here hey i used to go to another church we're just church shopping i'm like get out <laughs> you're in the wrong place was that too harsh 
I think it was right on. I think it was right on. We rarely base whether we're going to go to a church on, on what we can give. We most often base it on what we receive. We use criteria like, is the kids' ministry good? Is the worship music not too loud in the right style? Is, is the sermon not too long, not too pushy, just right? What, did he talk about money and try to get my money or not? We use those kind of things to decide if we're going to go to a church. Church attendance. This affects church attendance as well. Go well. I'm I'm cool with only going to church like every now and then when I'm not doing something else. Why? Well, because I have a relationship with Jesus and I'm good. I'm going to heaven, and I'm good. Okay. Well, what if it's not about you? What about God's people? What about what we're missing if you're not here? What about what you're supposed to bring to the table, beloved? What about that? What if it's not about you? Now you say, I don't want to serve every Sunday. I don't want to serve every Sunday. Why not? I can't figure it out. It would be different if we were like, we had one service. I don't understand that. We have three. In case you didn't know, this one starts at 9.45, not 10, just in case you were wondering. (laughs) But we have three services, so you can serve on Sunday and never miss an opportunity to worship and to be fed and to be in this room. You can do that every Sunday from here until Jesus returns, and you will never miss out on anything. I could understand it if we had one service, but we have three. I think every Christ follower in this room should happily adopt a worship one, work one mentality when it comes to services. I'm going to every Sunday worship one and work one. I'm going to figure out how to serve every single Sunday. I'm going to worship one and I'm going to work one every single week. Listen, beloved, it may be hard to hear But this idea that you, as a Christ follower, ever show up to the gathering of the church and don't serve God's people as a part of God's people is nowhere in the scriptures. You are God's people and you should serve God's people every time we gather. Outside of sickness and the rare trip, we should be showing up to serve every time. And listen, we have some dedicated people doing this every single Sunday so your kids hear about Jesus and so that guests are welcomed when they come in. And we have people doing this all the time. And listen, it's a joy to them. Because when I'm talking about burdens, I'm not talking about something that's crushing or even that difficult. Because when you serve, you see life transformation, and that brings joy. Because burdens of responsibility lead to an understanding of our purpose, and purpose brings peace. So we have people doing this, not the majority by any means, but we have people doing this And they love it because serving God brings joy. And what I've just been talking about kind of bleeds over into the third identity truth. I bet you can guess it. 
Um, look back at, at verse 5, the second half of it that we didn't read a minute ago. He says that we're supposed to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacri- spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then read verse 9 again. But you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As a follower of Christ, you are God's place, you are God's people, and you are God's priest. Is anybody else hot? All right. I got to do like uh, old school hankies here pretty soon, all right? Then you guys can bring hankies and you can wave them. You ever been to a church like that? Let's be that church, all right? You are God's priest. The way it worked in the Old Testament was that you had to be born a priest to be a priest. You had to be a Levite, right? You had to be born a priest to be a priest. And priests were men who were like intermediaries between God and the people. They did business between God and the people. And so if you wanted to connect with God or serve God or whatever, you had to go through a priest to do that, all right? So they, they answered questions about the law, they taught, they offered sacrifices, they performed worship for everyone. That's the way it was in the old Testament, the only way that people could really please God was through a priest. And one more thing, there was a leader of the priest. He was called the high priest. The high priest was special because once a year, he was the only one that could enter into the holy of holies in the temple and offer a sacrifice on the day of atonement. He was the only one. Only the high priest could do that, all right? So, okay, here's what changed. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus became our high priest. He was not from the lineage of priests. He came from a different order. And it says he became our high priest once and for all. And he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins, something that no other high priest could ever do. He offered himself as a sacrifice. And when he did that on the cross, the veil... The veil separating the people from the holy of holies, the people, the common people from God's presence, the veil separating them when Jesus gave his life on the cross was rent in two. It was torn in two because now no priest is needed for common people to get to Jesus. Isn't that good news? It was rent in two, and so now we can go to God directly. Now, Jesus is our mediator. He pleads our case before the Father, and now there's no need for another priest to bridge the gap between the people and God. So let's talk benefits. I mentioned it. You are God's priest. This means you don't need another person to talk to God on your behalf. You have direct access to God. Through Christ. Listen, you don't need another priest. You don't need a pastor. You don't need the Pope in order to talk to, connect with, receive from, serve, and worship God. You can go straight to Him in prayer. Now, that doesn't mean that God won't use people like me to help you along the way, right? 
That's part of the benefit of being God's people. But the benefit of being God's priest is that you have direct access to him. You have direct access to him. But like the others, this identity truth comes with a burden of responsibility. Since we are all priests, we all do the work. We all do the work of ministry. We all do the ministry. It's not my job or a professional priest's job to do the ministry. It's yours. Listen, if you gave your life to Christ, when you gave your life to Christ, it, not just your it wasn't just your identity that changed, your calling changed as well. Now you are a priest for God in this world because verse 9 said you're a royal priesthood so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're the priest, not just me, not just someone born in a certain tribe, everyone who has given their life over to Jesus Christ. So you are called to ministry just as much as I am. You received your divine call to ministry the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ automatically. You are God's priest. So as a priest, you do the work of God inside and outside the church. Now that you're a priest, you don't live a holy life vicariously through a high priest that's going to offer a sacrifice for you once a year. Now, because you're a priest, you live a holy life by the power of the Holy Spirit yourself. You no longer go to someone else to perform worship for you in your stead because now you're a priest and so you worship God yourself. You don't require someone else to to feed you, to give you the word, to, 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 to do that job for you because you don't need that anymore. You are a priest. You do it yourself. People leave churches all the time. I hear it when they're coming in, when I'm talking to them about where they're coming from. They go, well, we just weren't being fed. We just weren't being fed at our last church. I want to say, what are you, a toddler? Are you an infant? Here's a spoon. Here's a fork. Feed yourself. Because it's not anyone else's job, beloved, to feed you. You don't need a priest to feed you. You have direct access as God's people and as God's priest and as God's place to the word of God into God's presence, and so you feed yourself. You can be fed by others, by a shepherd like me. I, I, I hope to God that you're fed here, but in the end, it's up to you as a priest to show up, to have an open heart and an open mind, to open the word throughout the week, not just on Sundays, to study it, to gather with a life group, to talk it over. In the end, as God's priest... You feed you. Track it with me? Now, one point of balance here, because maybe you're thinking, then what are you for, Pastor Jake? <laughs> like, what's the point of you? So before I preach myself out of a job, <laughs> let me just explain this. It's different. There's a difference between pastors and elders, teachers, evangelists. 
prophets and apostles of the New Testament. These are not given to do the work for you like the Old Testament priests. These are God's grace given to you to help you fulfill the calling of a priest that you have on your life. Do you see the difference? This is not Old Testament priests. They do the work for you. New Testament pastor, elder, teacher, evangelist, we help you do what you're supposed to do. We help you fulfill the calling. Ephesians 4.11, very clear about what my job is as your pastor. It's to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry. Not to do the ministry for you, but to help you do I'm not supposed to do the ministry of a priest any more than you are. I'm supposed to do it, but that's because I, I, I follow Jesus. That's because I'm a Christ follower, not because I'm a pastor. And so I do it, but not any more than you do it. I'm supposed to equip you to do it, to share your faith, make disciples, to, to show up to the gathering of the church, the gathering of the saints with something to give and something to offer, being ready to serve, to, to preach the word at your workplace and in your neighborhood, places I probably won't ever go unless you invite me over. You're supposed to be following up with people. You might think that's my job. You're supposed to be following up with people you don't see here for a few weeks. If you notice somebody's gone, Follow up with them. Say, hey, how's it going? I hadn't seen you in church a while. Is there anything I can pray for you? You're a priest. When you're supposed to be plugged into a life group so much so that you would know that someone in your life group is in the hospital. And then you're supposed to go to the hospital and pray for them and be with them and help them because you're God's priest. And listen, if you're in the hospital... You don't need somebody with the title of pastor to come visit you for it to count. I got no superpowers that you don't have. I got no fast track to Jesus that you aren't privy to. I have no, I'm not leveled up. I got nothing to offer except for Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Same as you. And so if you're in the hospital, you should be plugged into a life group enough where your life group shows up to the hospital to care for you. And if that happens, guess what? You'll have a ton of priests showing up. They may not have the collar, right? They may not have this face. That's probably good for you. But they are just as anointed by the Holy Spirit to minister to you because they are just as much of a priest as I am. You, beloved, are God's priest. All right, let me wrap up this way. I said at the beginning that who you are determines what you do. I really believe that. Who you are determines what you do. But maybe I should say it this way too. Who you think you are determines what you do. Who you think you are determines what you do. There are a lot of Christians in this room who do not know who they are in Jesus Christ. 
You've been doing this Jesus thing for 5, 10, 20 years, but you have little to no impact on your world. You're still struggling with the same sins you were struggling with 20 years ago. You can't point back to, to any disciple that you've made or any person that you are discipling. When you're asked to serve on Sundays, you back away, you get freaked out, you make excuses, and you get out of it as fast as you can. It's because you do not have an accurate grasp of who you are, your identity in Jesus Christ. You are God's place. You are God's people. You are God's priest. There's so much to enjoy in that, isn't there? There's so much to enjoy in being God's place and God's people and God's priests in our world. So much to enjoy. But there's also a lot to do. There's also work to be done, ministry to be done, lost to be found, broken to be healed. So who do you think you are? And then I would just say this, identity determines direction. So if you're not heading in the right direction... It's at least an indication that you may be wrong about your identity, right? You may be wrong about your identity. If you say you're a health nut while you're pounding your third energy drink and stuffing your face with a fifth donut, you're wrong. You're not a health nut, right? That's not you. You're wrong about your identity. If you think of yourself as open-handed and giving and generous, but then when you look at that line item on your budget, there's really not a lot there compared to what you spend on other things. And when the pastor has the audacity to bring up money, like Jesus did a lot, to bring up money in a service, you get mad, then you're wrong about your identity. You're not open-handed. You're wrong about your identity. If you think of yourself as super handsome, but then when you look in the mirror, you see something akin to what I see in the mirror, <laughs> you're wrong, all right? You are absolutely wrong. If you think of yourself as someone who cares about minorities, who cares about people different than you, with different backgrounds than you, with different thoughts than you? Who cares about maybe the poor and the forgotten? If you think of yourself like that, but as you look in your life, you can't remember the last time that you had one of them in your house, then you're wrong. You don't actually care about those people. You haven't even invited them over. I'm just saying maybe... Maybe you've got a false identity issue. If you think of yourself as someone who's plugged in at Great Oaks, but you're not serving on Sundays, you're not going to a life group, you're not giving, you're really just showing up and consuming, then you're wrong. You're not plugged in. Not yet. But this isn't your home church. Not yet. I hope it becomes your home church. I hope you get plugged in. It just hasn't happened yet. If you think you're good to go in this whole identity as a follower of Christ thing, but you're not going in the right direction, maybe you're wrong about who you are. I mean, it's at least an indication, 
that something might be off, right? It's at least an indication that something might be off because Peter was pretty clear about who he's talking to. He goes, he says, the honor of having this identity as God's place and God's people and God's priest, it's for those who believe. It's for those who have tasted and seen that Jesus, that God is good. So I guess what I'm saying is, is don't be deceived. Don't be blind. If you have this false identity as a follower of Jesus, when you're not really a follower of Jesus, then your eyes need to be open to that truth. And maybe, maybe this is that moment for you. Maybe 1 Peter chapter 2 is the beginning of that for you. Maybe this is how that happens. Our identity determines direction. There is a particular direction, a specific destiny, a holy calling for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's place, God's people, God's priests. So who do you think you are? Is it who you want to be? Is your life heading in the way that you want it to head? Listen, if the answers to those questions are not good, they're not what you want them to be, I've got some good news for you today. You want to know what Jesus is really good at? He's really good at changing a person's identity. Isn't that good news? I want to give you some hope. If you're headed in the wrong direction, you're going, I'm not sure I am who I think I am. I'm not sure I am who I act like I am. I'm not sure that I am really a follower of Jesus Christ. If that's you and you're worried for a moment, you're scared for a moment, hear me. Jesus is an expert at raising back to life that which is dead. He's an expert at changing your identity. He is an expert at making something old brand new. Isn't that good news? And so if that is you, listen, you have only to reach out to Jesus, to ask him to transform you, to ask him to give you a new identity. And listen, once he changes your identity, Guaranteed, he'll change your direction. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and your grace. Thank you, God, that you do the work and you change us. You are so good and so faithful, even though we don't deserve it. So Jesus, we just give this to you today. I ask, Holy Spirit, that your conviction would rest here. That those of us who have been following Jesus for a while, that we, that if we're not, if we're not showing up as God's place and God's people and God's priest, if if these burdens of responsibility are not something that we take serious even as easy as they are in our culture and in our time, if we, if these are not something that we take serious. I pray for your heavy, heavy hand 
of conviction on our hearts and our souls and our minds, that we would not be able to shake that as we walk from this place, as we try to numb it, as we try to move on. God, that your spirit of conviction would chase us down. I don't want shame, but I want conviction. I ask for your conviction to reign supreme and to lead us to action and to change, a direction change because of our identity in you. For those in this room who have yet to give their life over to you, who have let to, yet to see an identity change happen, a transformation happen, I pray in this moment, right now, they would do that. That they would make a decision, that they would stand up different than they sat down. That they would be a new creation by the power of your Holy Spirit. Right now, I pray for that person who is waffling back and forth. Is that me? Should I do this? Am I? Should I be a Jesus follower? Should I take this seriously? In this moment of indecision, God, I pray that you would give them a supernatural confidence that comes only from faith. And that they would make a decision in this moment right now to give their life over to you. They may fumble and bumble over a prayer of, of salvation going, God, I need you. I don't know the words to say, but I know I need to be different. I pray that they would pray those words anyways. And that they would be different, God. That you would transform them and give them a new identity. That your Holy Spirit would reign in their hearts as God's place. That they would feel the, the unity and the acceptance and the belonging that comes with being God's people. And that they would feel the mission, the sense of purpose and calling that comes along with being God's priest. I pray for transformed lives today in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. Why don't you stand with me? We're running out of time. you got to go get your kids and all of that. If you today want to make a decision for Jesus Christ, we've got prayer workers at the side. Make sure that you stop by during this song or afterwards. A part of being a, a, a part of God's people is that we want to help you. We want to help you along the journey. So they'll give you an I've decided packet that'll help you make this decision and move forward. So stop there. If you need prayer for anything or want prayer for anything, make sure you stop by. Here's my prayer for you today. May you stand firm in your identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. May you enjoy the benefits and rise to the burdens of responsibility as an act of worship. And as God's place, God's people, and God's priests, may you strive every single day to live out the truth that you are set apart for service. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming today. As always. I want you to talk this over with your life group. If you have yet to get into a life group, you have yet to get into Great Oaks, we would love to help you in that process. Stop at Connection Central. We'll get you plugged in. The process is painless, just one drop of blood, and then we'll take care of it from there. No, I'm kidding. If you want to get into life groups, you need it. So if you want it, go and talk to Co Connection Central. We'll get you plugged in right now. And as always, my challenge to you is that you wouldn't let this stop with you. If you've been helped to take your next step towards God, Go out, talk to somebody about 1 Peter chapter 2 and their identity in Christ and be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. We'll see you next week. Don't miss it. Pastor Bill is going to be preaching his last sermon before he retires. Make sure you're here to encourage him. 
And we'll see you this afternoon for that retirement party. God bless.